Well, to begin with this morning, let me ask you a question. How many of you in this room have enemies? How many of you can pinpoint people in your life that you would determine to be your enemy? It could be a neighbor, a legitimate neighbor. It could be a family member or a coworker. But you would say, man, that is an enemy of mine. Some of you in this room, when you think uh, about that, it just kind of makes your face turn red. Or you may even be reminiscing right now about enemies that you had growing up. Those that bullied you and made fun of you and pushed you around. You know, my dad and I were talking about this just last week. But when we first moved to Wiley, um, I, I, I had a miserable experience the first few months in Wiley. Um, I was bullied by the neighborhood kids. I was picked on. I was laughed at. I mean, it was, it was bad. In fact, um, we lived right across the street from the school that I went to. And I managed to walk probably a mile out of the way just to get home because the neighborhood bullies were sitting at the end of our street, at the end of Stony Brook, waiting for me to walk across the field to walk down the street to get to my house. Man, my first few months in Wiley was just terrible. I, I, I couldn't stand the kids that were in my neighborhood. I couldn't stand um, my, um, that city. I mean, it was, just, it was just a bad experience. And some of you, when you think back to your childhood, you had some, some similar experiences. Some of you kids, man, you go to school today, and you, you're like, as we talk through this, you're like, man, every single day I go to school, I am bullied. I'm laughed at. I'm made fun of. And, and you know, I'm pushed around. You know, when you live in that kind of world, it can be both scary and incredibly lonely, can it? I mean, some of you have been there. Some of you have experienced that. I know for me, the only way that I ever got beyond being bullied is my older brother one day um, went to this group of neighborhood bullies, and he instilled the love of Jesus into them. And so that's how I got over being, being bullied by the neighborhood kids. And so you may have had um, an older brother that kind of took up for you as well. This morning, we're continuing our series, Follow Me. Jesus, as he was calling his first disciples, said, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Over the past several weeks, we have looked at five sections of Scripture that begin with direct quotes from the Old Testament law. Jesus is teaching his disciples here how to accurately interpret God's word. The Pharisees and the religious leaders had put their own spin on the word of God to make it say basically what they wanted it to say. So basically what the religious leaders were doing is they were tickling the ears of man. Um, If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be looking at verses 43 through 48 together this morning. So Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 48, after about, um, I don't know, it seems like an eternity, we will conclude Matthew chapter 5 this week. So next week we will transition to Matthew chapter 6, and so we'll continue marching on through the Sermon on the Mount. But Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 48 say this, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. 
But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. You know, a few weeks ago, Bill preached from Matthew chapter 5, verse 18. The thing that we've got to remember is Jesus did not come to abolish the law. Jesus came to fulfill the law. In fact, Jesus said he did not come to change a single iota or dot from the word of God. In Matthew 5, 18, we'll read, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. The Pharisees and the religious leaders, they were teaching bad theology. In fact, for far too long, the church of Jesus Christ in our day and time has been teaching bad theology, haven't they? I mean, you, you turn the television on, a lot of times if you come across a sermon on, 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 on TV, a lot of times you'll hear bad theology being preached. The Pharisees and the religious leaders, they were teaching bad theology. What we will see this morning is Jesus is going to correct the bad theology that was being taught on the hills of Jesus teaching on the law of retaliation. Jesus teaches his disciples the importance of loving their their neighbor. Our message point this morning is this, kingdom citizens love different. Kingdom citizens love different differently. Remember, you and I as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, this is not our home. We are no longer citizens of this world. We are citizens of heaven. And citizens of heaven live differently, love differently, and, 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 and serve differently. So remember that as we walk through this message this morning. Notice point number one. There is the twisting of the truth, twisting the truth. Jesus said in verse 43, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. The Pharisees and religious leaders, they like to twist the truth. Jesus begins this section of scripture just like he has over the past several weeks. He begins by quoting from an Old Testament passage. Up until this point, Jesus has been referring to direct quotes from the Old Testament. But this quote is different because because he's going to quote from the Old Testament. And then he's also going to make reference to the bad theology of the Pharisees, of the religious leaders. So notice two things here. Notice the first thing is this, what the law instructed. Notice what the law instructed. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor. This is a direct quote from the Old Testament, Leviticus 19.18. And this is what we read. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. The law instructed love. Loving thy neighbor. I mean, this is not gray in any way. This is as black and white as it can possibly be. We're called to love our neighbor as ourselves. Most of us in this room, we do not have a problem loving our neighbor, do we? I mean, we can honestly say, man, I love my neighbor, person that lives to the right, left, front, back. Um, I love those that I deem to be my neighbors, my co-workers, my family, and etc. 
At least we don't have a problem loving those we determine to be our neighbors. For the Jews, they love their fellow Jew. I mean, they had no problem loving their neighbor as it was determined to be their fellow Jew. What, What they had a hard time doing is they had a hard time loving those that were not their neighbors, those that were not Jews, those that were not part of the, the, the Jewish nation. Notice next, notice this, what man instructed. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy is what this passage of scripture says. Here's where the twisting of the truth comes in. The Old Testament law never instructed us to hate our enemy. What the Jews had done is they had limited the scope of whom they deemed to be their neighbor. Basically, their neighbor was their fellow Jew. And sometimes it could be even more restrictive than that. It could be those that were a part of their own tribe or their own, or their own family. Um, but So they would even put a spin beyond that. The Pharisees just assumed that because the law instructed that their neighbor was their fellow Jew, that meant they were to hate anyone outside of their own nation or their own tribe. I think if you and I are not careful today, we can be very tribal people, can't we? I mean, think about this. The most segregated day of the week is Sunday. I've shared this before. You've sat and heard people share this before, but you think about it. We have our white churches. We have our African-American churches. We have our Hispanic churches, our Asian churches, our Indian churches. We have all of these different churches that are located literally on every corner um, of Collin County that represents the different nations that come together, and everybody inside that building look very much dissimilar. Sure, some churches are more diverse than others, but for the most part, across the board, we are tribal people when it comes to loving people. What a tragedy that is. What a tragedy it is for the church to be tribal. You know, scripture is very clear that one day we're all going to gather around the throne room of God and we're going to worship people from every, with people from every tribe and every nation. Every people group one day will gather around the throne room of God to worship. And what a glorious day that is going to be. At no other time in my existence, have I witnessed as much tribalness as we're seeing today? Sure, it's been worse in history's past, but in my lifetime, I do not ever recall it like it is right now. The hatred between races, the hatred between religions, the hatred between the different political parties, the the tension that we see when it comes to um, how secure our borders should be. I mean, just think about it. Every time we turn the television on now, we are seeing just how divided we are as a nation and how tribal we are as well. Folks, Jesus makes it clear that just because someone does not look like us or talk like us or believe like us, we are still to love them. The world may instruct us to provide, um, to show hatred toward them, but Jesus makes it clear we are to love all people. Notice the second point this morning. So point number one, the religious leaders twisted the truth. Point number two, Jesus teaches the truth. So there is the teaching 
of the truth. Jesus is a disciple maker. He is taking this group of 12 men and he is molding in them and instilling in them the word of God. He is making disciples with these 12 men. Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. We read, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus Jesus commissioned these 12 and the greater um, number of disciples that had gathered as Jesus was preparing to ascend and take his rightful place next to the Father. And he called them out and told them to go and make disciples. Every single one of us in this room have been commissioned by God the Father at the moment of our salvation to go and make disciples. This week I had a young man that was in my office and um, and relatively new member of the church, and we were talking about discipleship. And I shared with him how I wanted to disciple him, how I wanted to um, take God's word and walk through God's word with him. And and I made reference to how I want to basically be Paul to him, and he would be my Timothy. And we began to talk and we began to dream about what that could look like. I said, can you imagine what it would look like if over the next several months we walk through God's word together and I breathe God's word um, over you and we walk through it and we, 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 um, we grow together. And I said, can you imagine what would happen if after this period of time the Lord also gave you a Timothy? And you were able to invest in that person. And then we have now, I be his Paul and he's my Timothy. And then he is Paul to a Timothy. And I said, what would happen after several months if this person that you began to disciple also becomes a Paul and begins to disciple another person? Man, that's what discipleship looks like. What Jesus did is he took 12 people and he began to, to breathe life into them. And he discipled them and he equipped them. Right now in this church, we've got several Paul-Timothy relationships that are going on, and I look forward to seeing those Paul-Timothy relationships develop into other Paul-Timothy relationships. Jesus took a, 12, a group of 12 men and molded them and shaped them into the group of men that they were. They literally changed this world. Sure, at the end, there was only 11 that was standing. Because one of those men turned Jesus over to die a criminal's death, but the other 11 preached the name of Jesus Christ until they took their final breath on this planet. So following these men hearing what the law taught and what the Pharisees inserted, Jesus states this, but I say to you, but I say to you, what Jesus is about to do is he is about to raise the bar with these five subsequent statements that we are going to look at this morning. Remember, Jesus' standard always goes above and beyond the law. And we looked at this last week. The law is here. And what Jesus does is he, he elevates our way of life to here. 
And what this world likes to tell us is that Jesus, whenever he came, what did he do? He actually lowered the law. He, he lowered the requirements for being a disciple. And that is so far from the church, truth. Jesus elevated us to a whole new level when he walked the face of this earth. Notice what Jesus instructs his disciples to do. The first thing that Jesus instructs them to do is love your enemies. In verse 44, but I say to you, love your enemies. All of us have determined in our hearts who our enemies are. Most of the time, it's those that wrong us or those that attack us or attack our families or those that would belittle us. I think all of us in this room would be in agreement that it is not natural for us to love our enemies, is it? When we think about those that we would call our enemies on this planet, it is not natural for us to love them. As one writer stated, it is not natural. It is supernatural. It's not natural for us to love our enemies. It is supernatural for us to love them. God is the only one that can give us the capacity to love unconditionally. In fact, it is so foreign to us, and Jesus knew it was foreign to us, that he gave us instructions that ultimately will lead us to love our enemies. And notice what those instructions are. Jesus says, pray for those who persecute you. What is the solution when it comes to loving our enemies? It is prayer. Without Christ, most of us would be naturally bent to hate those that we deem to be our enemies. With Christ, though, we have the capacity to love because God has modeled for us love by demonstrating for us what love looks like. Remember, love is a verb. Love is an action word. Love is to be demonstrated. You know, there's no better way to look at love than what Jesus Christ did for us. Jesus left heaven full of all of his glory and came, was born of a virgin, became, uh, dwelt among us, lived a perfect life, went to the cross and died on the cross for our sins. Three days later, he rose victoriously. And as a result of his life and death, you and I are able to enter into a personal relationship with him. That's love. Love demonstrated. John 3.16, Jesus has a conversation with the Pharisee Nicodemus. And Jesus says to him, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's what love looks like. Romans 5.8 says this, God demonstrated his love to us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God demonstrated his love to us by dying for us. At one time, we were all ungodly. At one time, we were all on a collision course with hell. At one time, we were all enemies of God. Colossians 1.21, the New Living Translation says this, this includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Even though we were his enemies, God demonstrated his love for us in this. Christ died for us. That's love, folks. That is love. What an amazing God we serve. One that loves us and desires for us 
to love others for the sake of their salvation as well. Notice again what verse 44 says. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Prayer changes us, doesn't it? Prayer changes other people. It changes how we love and how we view this world. When we pray, our perceptions change. We no longer view things as we did before, but we view things the way God views them. Folks, there is absolutely pure evil in this world. I think all of us will be in, would be in agreement of that. Um, if, if statistics are, are true, since um, statistics have been recorded, The year 2016 was the most persecuted year amongst Christians. 90,000 believers around this world lost their lives for not renouncing the name of Jesus Christ. 90,000. That is one person every six minutes that is killed. So this morning... There has been about eight people around this world that have lost their lives for not renouncing the name of Christ. There, it doesn't get any more, more, more evil than that, does it? Christians are the most persecuted religious group in the world. Christians are hated. Jesus was hated. The Lord's disciples were hated. And in the midst of that hate, What did those that have gone before us do? They loved. And that is exactly what Jesus has called each and every one of us in this room to do. He does not tell us to wage war. He does not tell us to hate those who hate us. He does not tell us to go to battle with them or to shun them. He tells us to love them. Why does he call us to love them? Because... He says in Matthew 5.45 that sons respond obediently. Sons respond obediently. In verse 45 we read, So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. William Barclay in his commentary on Matthew stated this. He states, the Hebrew language is not rich in adjectives. And for that reason, Hebrew often uses son of with an abstract noun where we would use an adjective. For instance, a son of peace is a peaceful man. A son of consolation is a consoling man. So then a son of God is what? A God-like man. The reason why we must have this unconquerable benevolence and goodwill is that God has it. And if we have it, we become nothing less than sons of God. God-like men and God-like women. Children of God. Isn't that what each and every one of us desire? Don't we all desire to be God-like? I know that I do. Man, my prayer and my heart's cry is that I will emulate the Lord Jesus Christ in all that I do. You know, unfortunately, I fall short every single day. And I make mistakes every single day, as I'm sure that you do. But does that keep me from desiring to be godlike? Does that keep me from desiring to be, be set apart from this world and to live a holy lifestyle? Absolutely not. We are to strive every single day to love different. 
Serve different and emulate the Lord Jesus Christ. I love what Keith Creel wrote. He said, if you have believed in Christ as your Savior, you are a son or daughter of God. The focus of this verse is not on attaining a relationship with God, but rather on being a person who shares the characteristics of God. This is the meaning of the Semitic idiom, son of. We would say in our time, like father, like son, or he's a chip off the old block, or of a daughter, she's the spitting image of her mother. When you love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, you are like God, who is so gracious that he gives good things even to those who rebel against him. Jesus says that his father sends sunshine and rain to fall on believers and blasphemers alike. God deals with enemies and friends alike. When you deal with both enemies and friends with the highest good in mind, you are like God. You and I are called to be men and women that, that model God-like behavior. Let's be a chip off the old block. Let's, let's be children that emulate God the Father. Notice next, we are called as Christians to surpass the love of others. We are called to surpass the love of others. In Matthew 5, 43 through 47, Jesus said, For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Jesus mentions two groups of people in this particular passage of Scripture. The first one that he mentions is the tax collectors. Matthew was a tax collector before Jesus called him to be his disciple. A tax collector was one that was employed by Rome. They were the ones that literally collected taxes from their fellow Jews. They were despised. They were the second most despised people on the planet. The first being the Gentile and the second being a tax collector. A tax collector today would be similar to an IRS agent. You know, if you're an IRS agent, man, God's grace and mercy be upon you. But if, if you um, are... If you were to receive a knock at your door and it was an IRS agent, um, something terribly went wrong when you were doing your taxes. And so that IRS agent is doing what? They're there to collect what you failed to pay. And so they want you to pull out your checkbook so that you can make restitution for what you've done. Well, a tax collector, they were hated because, because a Jew had to give their their, their taxes to that tax collector who in turn would give it to Rome. The problem is that the tax collectors not, would not only give um, what they were supposed to give, but they would also take a little bit off the top for themselves. And so they were hated and despised people. Jesus also referred to the Gentiles as being hated. A Gentile was of the lowest class of people. Man, they were, they were lower than even the dogs. They were, they were despised and hated. And Jesus points out that even those that are the most despised by you have love in their hearts. If those that we deem as being people that we hate have love in their heart, how much more love should you and I have in our hearts for those that hate us? Because we are Christians, because we are set apart from this world. Jesus says that our love is to surpass the love of others. Our final point this morning is this. We are called to be perfect. In verse 48, 
You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Jesus' standard for our life is perfection. I mean, think about that. His standard for our life is perfection. That is what you and I have been called to. Since we began walking through the Sermon on the Mount together, we have read verse after verse, instruction after instruction, command after command. And what we have read and studied is this. Just like Jesus was calling his disciples to a life of perfection, he is calling each and every one of us in this room to that same kind of life. Be perfect is what we read here. Be holy is what Scripture calls us to. A life set apart from this world. How do we attain perfection? Well, we live a God-like life. We take God's word, his holy word, his, his, his inspired word. We take it and we apply it to our lives daily. And the more our lives are, 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 are emulating this holy word, the more our lives will demonstrate God-like perfection. You know, I've, I've heard preacher after preacher, and I've read um, commentary after commentary and heard um, and, and sermon after sermon make reference to this particular passage of Scripture. Some say per, that perfection is unattainable, so there is no point trying to attain it. Here's what I want all of us to be aware of. Jesus would never call us to a standard of living that he would not provide us a way to achieve it. So if Jesus calls us to a life of perfection, that's the kind of life that we need to daily strive to have. Is it going to be easy? Absolutely not. Um, Will we um, ever truly arrive at perfection? One day when we stand before Jesus Christ, we shall be perfect. I know that. During this period of our life, from the moment that we were justified, the moment of our salvation, until the moment that we stand before Jesus Christ one day or kneel before Jesus Christ or fall prostrate before Jesus Christ, we are in a process called sanctification. And what that means is we are daily trying to become more and more like Jesus Christ so that we can obtain this perfection that we have been called to. Jesus called his disciples to this life, and he has called us to this life. Let's seek with all of our heart to obtain it. It's not going to be easy, but if we take God's word and we apply God's word to our life, then we can achieve it. You know, as I said in the middle of our our message this morning, love is a verb. Love is demonstrated. How are we going to demonstrate God-like love this week? How are we going to love those that the world tells us are enemies? How are we going to demonstrate that kind of a love this week? How are you going to love that unlovable classmate that you have, students? How are you going to love that unlovable coworker that you have or that unlovable um, family member or that unlovable neighbor? How are you going to love them? Well, Scripture tells us 
how we are to love them. We are to demonstrate a God-like love towards them. Let's be Christ to those that we come in contact with on a daily basis. You know, you may be here this morning and you're like, man, you're talking about all this kind of love, but I don't really get what love is. Well, love is this. Love is what Jesus Christ did for you 2,000 years ago when he went to the cross and he shed his blood and died upon that cross for you. As I said a second ago, Romans 5, 8, and quoted from God's word, God demonstrated his love in this. While we were yet sinners, a sinner is someone that has fallen short of the glory of God. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us because he loved us. And if you don't know Jesus this morning, You don't know for certain if you were to die today, if you would spend eternity in heaven or in hell. I would like to invite you this morning during our time of invitation to come and surrender your life over to Jesus Christ and say, hey, I'm a sinner. I've fallen short of God's glory, and this morning I want to become a Christian. And I'd love to share with you more about how you can do that. You may be here this morning. The Lord's leading you to become a member of Friendship Baptist Church. We'd love for you to be a part of this faith family. You may need to this morning kind of do a catalog um, of those that you may not love and begin asking the Father to give you a love for them like he loves you. Let's stand together and let's pray. Father God, we come before you, Lord Jesus, just thanking you for loving us. Father, I know this morning we have, we have um, covered a lot. But ultimately, Lord, what we've covered is and looked at is a picture of your love for us. And how you have called us to be loving people. And Father, I know that this world likes to tell us that we're to hate certain people. We're to hate those that are not part of our religious clan or those that don't look like us or those that don't believe like us. But Lord Jesus, you make it abundantly clear in your scripture that we are to love all people because it is by us as the church loving those that do not have a relationship with you that those are going to have an opportunity to be reconciled with you. Father, you have made us your agents your ambassadors. You have set us apart to take the good news of salvation to those that do not have a relationship with you. Scripture says, how beautiful are the feet of those that bring good news. Lord, we want to be the, 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 those that, that walk proclaiming the good news of salvation with those that we come in contact with. And Father, we also know that Scripture says that how will they know unless we go? And so, Father, we want to go always with love in our hearts, always with with grace on our lips, and always in the Spirit of Jesus and with the Spirit of Jesus. So, Father, we pray that you will make us loving people and you'll give us opportunities this week to love all people. Father, this morning, 
If there's someone here that has yet to receive you as their Lord and Savior, Father, I pray this morning that they will make the greatest decision that they could ever make, and that is to repent of their sins and cry out to you to be their Lord and Savior. And Father, we thank you for the promise of your word that if a person does repent of their sins and does cry out to you as their Lord and Savior and does commit to um, a, 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 a change of life, Father, your scripture is clear that they will be saved. And so, Father, this morning, if there's someone that does not know you, draw them unto salvation. Lord, if there's someone here this morning or a family here this morning that has been visiting this church for a while, Lord, we pray that if it be your will, that they come to be a part of this faith family. Lord Jesus, just move now during our time of invitation. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.